stand our feet. Praise the Lord together. Lord, we bless your name. God, let your glory go on and on. 
somebody give him some praise. Well, good morning. And welcome to Church on the Rock. We are so delighted to have you here worshiping with us this morning on this Independence Day weekend. I have a scripture I'd like to share with you. It is from 1 Chronicles 16:8. It says, Thank God. Call out his name. Tell the whole world who he is and what he's done. Sing to him. Play songs for him. Broadcast all his wonders. Revel in his holy name. God seekers, be jubilant. Praise God this morning. Let's hold on to that word and enter into his presence with praise and his course with thanksgiving. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. Oh God, we bless you. We came to bring our praise to you. Come and let us sing for joy. Let us praise and shout aloud to the lifter of our hands, to the rock we're standing on. Your salvation is our song. Now we can't stay silent. We will sing our praise. It's your love for us and grace. Are the things you've done and praise is the offering we bring to you, God. We bless you, Lord. Amen. Lord, we come to worship you. Lord, we bow our hearts in awe. By your love we are redeemed. We are yours and you're our God. Your salvation is our song. Now we can't stay silent. We will sing how great you showed up for us and great. All the things you've done and praised is the offering we bring to you. Oh, my heart and gold of our heart and soul and gold that you are and go and praise is the offering we bring to you. Lord, we come to worship you. Lord, we bow our Praise 
to you, my Lord. Oh, somebody praise him in this place this morning. Oh, come on. I believe we can do a little better, Lord. We bless you in this place this morning. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. Oh, you're worthy, Jesus. You're so worthy, Lord. Come on, somebody. Just slip your hands to heaven. Lord, we welcome your presence in this place. Almighty God, we'd say we need you. Lord, we want you. Lord, as we're about to sing this next song this morning, Lord, we've heard of all the things, Lord, that you've done and even seen things that you've done in our life, God. But we pray and we cry out this morning, God, that you would do it again. God, you would bring revival to our nation, to our land. God, we cry out for more of you, God. There would be an awakening, God. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, we need you, God. Oh, we need you. All the fathers saw in the days of old. Would you do it again? Would you do it again? All the miracles, all the miracles, would you do it again? Would you do it again? Oh Lord, would you do it again? You said, consecrate yourselves to me.
among us His glory surrounds us His fire is falling as we sing Your Savior is for us His love is victorious Revival is rising in His name Come on, say now, Lord the King is among us, His glory surrounds us, His fire is falling as we sing. The Savior is for you, the Savior is for us, His love is victorious, revival is rising. The Holy Spirit fire burning in our souls. Kings and kingdoms falling. Hear your people calling. King of kings. Come on, let it be a prayer as we lift it up this morning. We cry out to our God. We say, Lord, we need you. And we need your revival. Holy Spirit fire burning ever brighter in our soul. Hang on just a second. We're going to sing this again. But I don't know if you're like me and you look around this world and you see how the darkness seems to be growing. And we need a revival, an awakening. So as we sing that this morning, I encourage you, do not be a spectator, but let it be a prayer from your heart to the King that we need you, God. I don't know about you. Maybe you agree with me. Maybe you don't, but I need him. And not only do I need him, but I want him. So we say that I need your revival, Holy Spirit fire, burning souls for kings and kingdoms falling hear your people calling king of kings we need a miracle we need you hallelujah father we call out for revival for our nation lord in jesus name just begin to pray. Just begin to ask God to just pour out His Spirit on our nation, Lord. Pour out Your Spirit on our city, Lord. Revive us, but start in the church, Lord. I declare unity amongst the churches, Lord. Lord, you revival will come to Your church in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we're continue to worship the Lord. We're going to have some ministry time right now, and our altar team's going to come up. But I was kind of reflecting yesterday and praying for the weekend. I was reminded, 4th of July weekend, about 15, 16 years ago, we bought a house, and before we we're getting ready to buy it, it burnt. And I felt like the Lord still said, you know, buy that house. But 4th of July, we were in there with a little bobcat loader. We were gutting that whole thing out and just cleaning out and getting ready to remodel. And it kind of just quickened something spiritually. There might be some people here that maybe you need God to come in and kind of gut some things out. In a sense, just kind of clean some things out. You wonder why you don't have peace or, or there's just some confusion. And maybe there's just some areas in your house that have just gotten, a, you know, a little off and they need cleaned out. But, you know, sometimes a company will come in and buy some land that might have a nice house on. And what do they do? They just totally eliminate it. You know, I think there's some of you out here that you continue to try to add on and build on to something that doesn't have a good foundation. And 
So today, let somebody pray with you. If you feel like you're not right with God or things got off course a little bit or they're just not peace or you don't have freedom. But beyond that, altar team, come right now. But if you just need healing in your body, if you need peace, you've got and where there's just no peace and you've got some decisions to make, let somebody agree with you. Because I'm telling you, there's miracles happen up at this altar. So let somebody agree with you, whatever the situation is. But let's go back and worship and let God just come in and just kind of clean things up and just refresh you in Jesus' name.
your name, oh Lord. this morning can we give him some praise he is there's no one like our God why don't you turn this morning to greet two or three people somebody you never met tell them how happy you are to see them this morning
Church on the Rock. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of opportunities to get connected through small groups, classes, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can bring it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our Saturday night meal and snacks between our Sunday morning services. Also, the coffee bar is always open. We are so glad you're here, and we hope that you know there is always a place for you at Church on the Rock. Hello, I'm Donna Montanelli with the Culture Impact Team of Church on the Rock, and we want to remind you of four key elements from America's founding document, the Declaration of Independence. First, there is a God. Second, our rights come from God, not government. Third, governments are formed to protect our God-given rights. Fourth, governments get their rightful powers from the consent of the citizens. Today's skeptic might object. Where does it say all that? You will find these four principles in the first 55 words of the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. As American Christians, we need to remember and uphold the supremacy of our God-given rights and the subservient nature of civil government by binding down our political leaders from mischief with the chains of the Constitution. The journey of life can be difficult. Here at Church on the Rock, we want to help your journey by connecting you to God, friends, ministry, and the world. We offer four classes on Wednesday nights to help you stay on course in your walk with God. Our Connect class is for anyone new to the church or anyone wanting to get more involved. It is a four-week class to help you learn about the church, help you get connected to God, and learn about your spiritual gifts. The Spirit-Filled Life four-week class will teach you how real friendship with the Holy Spirit can change your life. The four-week freedom class is designed to help you resolve conflict, break bondages, and renew your mind. The leadership class will teach you principles of leadership that you can apply in ministry, business, or in your home. Between our Connect, Spirit-Filled Life, Freedom, and Leadership classes, there is a Wednesday night class for everyone. Classes start this Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Amen. Everybody having a good 4th of July weekend? Amen? Hallelujah. Maybe, maybe not. Do you like the fireworks that weren't? I tell you, my dog does not care for fireworks at all. Turn in a little baby. But anyway, you look at that American flag, you think, hey, independence, freedom. But what about when you look at that cross? That's real freedom, isn't it? I tell you, my Independence Day, April 14th, 1984. When did you ask Jesus into your life? How about on the count of three, we all yell out the date at the same time? Or if you, maybe you're young, you don't have a specific date, maybe the year. One, two, three, April 14th, 1984. You know, if you didn't, 
able to call out a deity, you're not sure. Uh, you know, if you have a relationship with God, man, at the end of this service, come up. Pastor will give you an opportunity just to ask Christ in your life. I'm telling you, that's when real freedom comes. Amen. Anybody have freedom now? Okay. Amen. Hallelujah. You just saw in there, we got classes that start this Wednesday. Uh, usually start the first Wednesday of the month. This is five Wednesdays. So our Connect class starts up this Wednesday. If you're fairly new to the church, want to get involved, that's the four-week class to jump into and you'll really learn about the church and be able to hear from pastor and, and just uh, find out your spiritual gifts too. And all the other classes start at that same time, our journey classes. And we continue to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 8. It's a few verses, but listen to what Paul, the uh, Apostle Paul is telling to the Corinthian church. And here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much. He who gathered little did not have too little. You know, the Corinthian church had plenty of money, but they were setting aside. This was probably over a year that they made some commitments to some churches that were in need. And Apostle Paul came in and just encouraged him to follow through. And there's four points, real quick points I want to make out of this. Number one is give cheerfully. Your attitude's more important than the amount. Number two, follow through on your commitments. It's always good when you make a commitment, whether it's your Imagine More building campaign, just to follow through and thank God for those that are. We're getting real close to getting our plans together for our expansion and, and presenting it to you, so we're real excited about that. And number three, give to others in need. Then others will help you when you are in need. There's a scripture, cast your bread on the water and it'll come back to you. Maybe you don't have a financial need, but there's another need that might somebody be, might be able to help you with. And number four, don't give to get, but give out a devotion to Christ. I think that's an important one. In my words, I say, don't give to get. I don't give to get, but I get to give. How many get to give? That God blesses you. Amen. Before we pray, I want to say, first of all, I uh, want to honor Pastor Nick Birmingham. He's been here 10 years now. Uh, time really goes slow when you're having fun, doesn't it? Amen. But we want to bless him, and we're... Uh, our financial committee and very make way that if you've been here a certain amount of years, he's going to get a month, a four-week sabbatical. We want to just send him off. Him and his family, relax. There's not many weekends you don't see him up here and doing a great job of raising up teams. But we have enough money to send him, but we don't have enough money to bring him back. So, uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> now, we'll get you back here. Don't worry. But if you'd just like to bless him, you can just mark Nick on your offering if you'd like to help him. And just, uh, just say, you know, we're just glad he's here. And how many are glad he's here? Amen. What a blessing. We appreciate you, Pastor Nick. Amen. Let's pray for our offering. Hallelujah. Father, we do bless you. Thank you for this opportunity to give, to say we love you, we trust you. Bless this offering, those that are giving, and this offering collectively. Lord, it will be more than enough to make a difference in our children, our youth, this facility, but more than that, in our city, in our nation, and in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless
say that? God, would you bless America? It's a prayer we're praying today. God, would you bless this nation in the future as you have in the past? And we just humble ourselves before you today, acknowledging that the less the Lord builds the house, our labor's in vain. And we just humble ourselves before you today, knowing that God himself is good to us. As we stand before you right now, we just want to say we welcome your presence in our midst. Not a feeling, nothing mystical or weird, but the reality that God is near. Our nation, Lord, needs you to draw near to it in this dark hour. We've lost our moral compass. We're drifting. We call wrong right and right wrong. Your word, Lord, has been removed from the public square. The God who sent his son to give his life for us has been rejected. And we humbly ask you to forgive us. And hear, Lord, the voice, the cry this weekend of millions of Christians asking God to visit this great nation once again with a spiritual revival. Welcome today, Lord. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Tell your neighbor it's good to be an American. And you may be seated. I hope you read the quotes of the founding fathers that were there, somewhat archaic, several hundred years ago. But I would imagine if our founders were alive today, they would weep over America. I would imagine today, particularly as they look at the decisions our Supreme Court justices have made as of late, because you see, our founders gave us a, a nation whose civil government was founded on common law we, from England, but deeper than that, it was founded on natural law. Natural law is that which God has given and ordained for civil government, that which uh, is made plain to all of us. You see, our founders, when it came time to write the Constitution, they didn't believe that every decision that would ever be made in the future by America would be addressed in that document. They knew change would happen, but you see, their thought of life was undergirded by the Scripture. So hence, for the founders, when there was a question, whether it was abortion or same-sex marriage or whatever topic of discussion it might be, they would, rather than go into the majority or to the will of the oligarchy, they would go to, to the Bible. And the Bible would give them a sense of direction and a sense of purpose. Uh, they were trained, the legal scholars were trained in Blackstone's commentary of the law. And again, it was just filled with scripture and with Bible and talk of Jesus. Uh, Webster's Dictionary, the old one, the original one, if you've looked at that version, you'll know that it too was filled. It would define words with Bible verses. So it's undeniable that America was founded as a Christian nation, as a nation as you saw the quotes of its founders. Yet in our world today, we, you and I live in, an, uh, in a world that has endeavored to neuter the Christian heritage and it is endeavoring to silence the Christian voice, to silence the Bible from modern debate. And this morning I'd like to tackle a serious subject that has all of America opinionated today, but that of marriage. The Supreme Court's recent decision on same-sex marriage Nine Supreme Court justices did away with what has been the norm for marriage since the beginning of time. Five voted against this, uh, the proposition, or five voted for the proposition that two men should marry, two women should marry. Four voted against it. And the questions I want to deal with this morning is, who's right and who's wrong, and how do we know? I want to deal with the issue, why does it matter? Because you may not think it's going to affect you, but friend, it will. 
And most importantly, I want to deal with how should you as a, and I, as a Bible-believing Christian, as someone who believes the Bible is the Word of God, how should I relate to the decision now that's become the law of the land? And I realize today in this room we're on many sides of the issue. I'd just simply like to ask you today as someone who believes the Bible is God's Word, allow me to speak to you as best I know how from what the Bible says. And then make your decision on how you're going to respond to it. I hope that you won't cut me off early in the message, but you'll listen and see that I have a heart of compassion and love for everybody, wherever they're dealing with in their lives. But at the same time, I'm someone who believes that the truth needs to be proclaimed. And as I understand the job description that the scripture gives a pastor, someone who opens the Bible, that's exactly what I'm going to endeavor to do today. So... Uh, we're going to begin in Genesis 2.24. It was the beginning of human history when God told Adam and Eve the first prophecy when God said these words, Therefore a man shall leave his father and leave his mother and hold fast to his wife. A man and a wife, masculine and feminine, and they shall become one flesh. It is that scripture that was turned upside down by our Supreme Court. So let's talk today about the Bible and marriage. Let me first ask the question, how do we know the difference between right and wrong? That's a big question. When you're a kid, you just said yes to what mama said because you know mom knows best. But as you get older, it's not so clear. I'm going to take you to the words of Jesus today. Jesus said this in what's called his priestly prayer. Shortly before his crucifixion, he prayed this prayer. He prayed a lengthy prayer that we can't look at, but in his prayer that he prayed for all people, he also made this statement to God, and he said these simple words, and I want you to say them with me. In John 17, 17, Jesus said this. He said, your word is truth. Can you say it again? Your, your word is truth. In other words, the word of God, the Bible, the, what, what, what the Lord has spoken to his people, that is what truth is. The psalmist said this, Psalm 119, the sum of your word is truth. In other words, the Bible, the word of God, the total, in its totality it is true, and every one of your righteous rules endures for a few years. No, it says Forever. Which means that God's words, God's commandments, God's precepts, God's directives for life apply to us as much today as it did the day in which it was written. But yet we've been taught by secular America in the last 50 years that there's no such thing as moral or absolute truth. And I particularly want you that are young to listen to me today. Absolute truth by definition simply means that something is true for you, it's true for me. It's true if I'm black, it's true if I'm white, it's true if I'm a male, it's true if I'm a female, it's true if I live in Africa, Indonesia, or America. There are truths that the Bible declares of itself that apply equally to all of humanity. This is the teaching of the scripture. But in America today, we're taught that the individual has the right to decide what's right and wrong. Nobody's gonna tell me what to do. Nobody has the right to tell me what to do. Well, I beg to differ with that. God has the right to tell us what to do. The God who created us, the God who sustains us. Our only question is, will we willfully submit to it as we walk on this path of the earth? Uh, and Americans also determine right and wrong by polls. If you look at politicians, for example, our president and Mrs. Clinton, several years ago, they both favored marriage to be the traditional understanding between a man and a woman. 
But somewhere over the last couple years, they reversed course, and now they're one of the biggest supporters of same-sex marriage. We change over time as Americans. We look to the professionals to tell us what's right and wrong. We look to the majority. We look to judges. But I tell you, of all these, Jesus disagreed. Jesus Christ the one whose life we celebrate on the cross, resurrection at Easter, birth at Christmas, we wear a cross around our neck, we put a cross on our wall. That, Jesus says, God's word, the Bible is truth. It is the ultimate authority in life. Amen. So I want to ask you a question, particularly if you have kind of a feeling that we may not be on the same page in this 100%. I want to ask you a question. Is Jesus right or is he wrong? Because... The temptation is, is to make this a battle, a war, an argument, a disagreement between you and I or between whoever, but I suggest the starting place is Jesus. I suggest the starting place is the Bible, and I want you to really think about that, because if you end up in a different spot than what the Bible seems to be plain as, you're being influenced by something other than the Scripture in the most basic areas of life. Let me read another passage. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul the Apostle said this. All Scripture. Can you say that with me? All Scripture is inspired by God, which means God literally breathed. He, he, he somehow influenced men of old to write the words of this Bible. He influenced people over several thousand years in some 66 books to write with a coherent message to make predictions about the future hundreds of years ahead that they had no idea would happen. And God caused there to be a simple, singular message from all these men, and the Scripture is, is inspired of God. It's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. We're answering the question, how do we know the difference between right and wrong? The Bible corrects us when we're wrong, it says, and it teaches us to do what is right. Now, I can believe that or not believe it, but have me know my belief doesn't make it true or false. Listen, it's either true or it's false. If it's, listen, if, it's, if the Bible's false, I've lost nothing. I mean, listen, I sleep good at night. I have peace about the day. I have hope for the future. Uh, I've got a woman of 32 years that's loved me. We've never been unfaithful to one another. We don't hire detectives to see what the other is doing. I got kids that love me. Life is fun. I like to fish, duck hunt, turkey hunt. Like, you understand what I'm saying? So if the Bible's wrong, I hadn't lost a, lost a thing. I'm just some, you know, uh, stupid, ignorant, you know, uh, a non-progressive person that's just simple-minded and has to have something to cling to in life. Well, Praise the Lord. But if the Bible is right, I've gained everything. And, and those that have rejected it will lose in a way that is incomprehensible for all eternity. The big question is, am I going to agree with the Scripture and what, what's said in the Word, or am I going to agree with popular culture? Now, if the Bible addresses all areas of life, if the Bible talks to us about everything from business to sex to entertainment to should I take a bribe, if the Bible has the, the right and the authority to speak for God and tell us what's true and false, I want to ask you, will you allow the Bible to shape your thinking when it comes to cultural issues like same-sex marriage? Now, I particularly want to speak to you that are millennials. I'm a baby boomer. Um, I know I don't look it, but I am. When I was in the 
school, elementary school, uh, the principal would come on the loudspeaker and pray for the day. He'd read Bible verses. Now today, it's almost as if the attempt is being made to make us believe that that's sacrilegious, that that never happened in America, that those who wrote the Constitution, that wrote those sayings that we looked at during uh, earlier in the service, like that didn't even exist. It's like somebody took a giant eraser and scissors and tried to cut out much of American history and lie to us. It's what it is. You can't argue with the facts they're there. They just don't want to acknowledge these facts. I remember when John F. Kennedy died, was assassinated. I was in the first grade. I remember taking a nap. Our teacher told us we cried and our teacher prayed with us. Now, if you're a millennial, if you're a younger person today, you were not raised like that. You were not raised with a biblical worldview, with an understanding of God that said, uh, that said God created the world and all that's in it. You've been raised in a world that said evolution is the creator. And imagine how intelligent evolution must be. I mean, think about this now. You've been raised in a world that says there's no God, hence there's no purpose in life. Hence, you play with video games at murder and there's not a big deal because after all, you know, they deserve it and I want to do it and it's not a big deal anyway. But when it comes to this issue of same-sex marriage, the polls tell us that baby boomers believe that marriage should be as the Bible teaches between a man and a woman. But for the baby boomer, you've been influenced by words such as nobody has the right to tell anybody else what to do. Uh, discrimination, uh, hate mongers, bigots, uh, hate speech. And that's become the new norm or the new truth for you. I want to suggest to you that you have been wrongly influenced. I want to suggest to you that you need to deliberately ask the question today, who am I going to allow to shape my thinking about this issue and every other issue that I face in my life? And uh, so let's kind of let that be a starting place. That's where I'm coming from. Uh, So let's look at the words of Jesus. Jesus told us what marriage should be. Now, many people will talk about Jesus today, and Jesus was all loving, and, and he just loved everybody, and everything was great and groovy, and, and just everything. But, but, but Jesus was clear. Listen to what he said. The Pharisees tested Jesus and asked him, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any cause? And there were two sects of, uh, 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 of Judaism. One believed in liberal divorce laws, no-fault divorce, if, uh, you know, if your wife burned the bacon in the morning. She... That was a joke last night. The Jews didn't eat pork, okay? Lighten up a little bit. If, if, if you just didn't like the way she looked, you just divorce her, like, like America today. Jesus, the, the other school, was much more narrow. It was much more uh, closed in terms of the exceptions and, and why you could legitimately divorce and remarry. Uh, but Jesus, and here's what Jesus said. He said, have you not read, he's referring to Genesis, the scripture I read earlier, Have you not read that he who created them, we are the created ones, there is a creator, that he, God, who created them from the beginning made them male and female. God made some male, God made some female. And for over 99% of us, there's no question about what our gender should be. Some have some chromosomal abnormalities, other have physical characteristics that there is some confusion. But how many know you don't argue a rule from the exception? How many know the clear teaching of Scripture? Now, there's a great deal of confusion over gender identity in America today. Uh, A picture, this is one of my heroes, Bruce Jenner, Olympic champion. And he posed for Vanity Fair recently, and, and this is Caitlyn Jenner. 
the Department of Justice recently argued in a court case that a transgendered youth, a youth that believed he was a she or she was a he, I forget the detail, but believed that they were other than what they are uh, uh, physically, that they have a right to use whatever bathroom they want to use. What this implies is our assigned gender at birth is irrelevant, but I have the right to choose. We even see now the word racial identity come a vogue. I believe I'm correct on these facts, but I believe it was in Oregon that the head of the NAACP was a woman, and she had portrayed herself as a, as a black woman the whole time, but come to find out she was white. And then, of course, that created a whole other set of issues. So, so the question is, do I have the right to pick my gender? Do I have the right to pick my race? How far do I have the right to go to define myself? Jesus Christ said, God created us male or female. And I suggest to you the starting place for your happiness, your self-esteem, your self-identity is accepting yourself the way God created you. Accepting your gender, accepting your race, accepting where, you know, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee and raised in you know, the country in Mississippi during the, you know, the civil rights and all that of the, of the late 50s and 60s. That's the era I was raised in. I remember when schools were integrated. And you may say, oh, well, I, you know, I just hate being where I am and I don't want to be here. God inserted you in history, my friend. And somehow the sovereign God didn't make your crooked nose. How many know somewhere in there, you know, with your big Adam's apple or whatever is abnormal about you. How many know we live in a fallen world? Adam and Eve gave us. But somehow the fallenness meets with the sovereignty of God. And the Bible says that God wrote the days of my life in a book before one came to pass. So the starting place for my happiness is accepting myself the way God created me. Now, back to marriage in Jesus, back in verse 5, Jesus said, therefore, because he made the male and female, a man, everybody say a man, amen. shall leave his father and mother. Here he alludes to the, the best place, the, the most healthy way to raise a child, father and mother, male and female, uh, masculine and feminine, and hold fast to his wife, feminine. The two shall become one flesh. One flesh is a, is, a, is, a, is a picture of sexual intercourse that is a natural experience for a married man and a woman. It is a pleasurable experience designed by God, not by evolution, and it is a deliberate way to bring children into the world. This is God's design that has governed uh, human history since the beginning of time. So Jesus told us in this passage what therefore God has joined together. In other words, God blessed the marriage between a man and a woman. So uh, let not man separate, and that's how he answered divorce. So again, Jesus affirmed what's been true since the beginning of time. Marriage is between one man and one woman. Family and child rearing need a father and mother, and God places his blessing on the union of a man and a woman. Now, let's flip. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? I've done a great deal of reading. I've read not only from the Bible, but I've also read from uh, gay Christians. I've read some, some heady theological argue, uh, uh, articles that were written by Christians, people who believe in Jesus, but also believe that you can enter into a same-sex marriage. I mean, we've had misinterpretations of the Bible from the beginning of time, that you can twist or make the Bible say you whatever you want to. So let me just read some passages to you. Jude, first of all, let me say this, nowhere in the Bible 
where you find homosexuality or homosexual acts or homosexual marriages, nowhere you find it condoned by God. Now, you might explain away these scriptures I'll give you, but nowhere do you find a pattern for living. Just the opposite. Jude chapter 7. Now, the book of Jude, it's a short New Testament book. It's about God's judgment on false teachers. But he talks about this idea of judgment, and he talks in verse 7. He says, don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah, two ancient cities, and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Now, this is not what some ranting preacher made up this morning. This is not what some homophobic, homophobic person decided to say on a Sunday morning because he, he didn't want to say anything else. I, we read a portion of Scripture, and here's the deal. It's true or it's false. He goes on to say, those cities were destroyed by fire, and they serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. Now, you go and read Genesis chapter 19, and it's no question what we're talking about here. I mean, it's very, very clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul the Apostle says, Do you not know that the unrighteous, key word, what's right, what's wrong, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And how many would agree with me that the most important thing in this life is to be a part of God's eternal kingdom? I mean, I mean listen, in case you don't know this, you're going to die one day. I hope it's not today or tomorrow, but it could be. But one day you're going to die. One day, unless the rapture happens early, which I hope it does, you're going to be in the newspaper with a picture in about that much unless somebody wanted to spend money and write that much. We're all going to be there in eternity, and the Bible is filled with eternity. The Bible is a book about a God who existed before time ever existed. And as long as time existed, whether it's a short, a short or long, at the end of that, God is still there and God's going to take a people to be with him forever and ever 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 and ever. Amen. So don't you think that's worth being a part of? But listen to what he says. He says, don't you know the unrighteous won't inherit this kingdom? And then don't be deceived. And then in two verses, he lists unrighteous behavior he says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. And then he lists another uh, 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 verse of different flaws. And I bring this one out simply because of what he says about sexual behavior. But I want you to know this, friends. Listen, I think sometimes the, the doctrine of grace, which I hardly rely and believe in, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, almost makes us jump over scriptures like this and almost makes us feel okay to do whatever we want to do because God's just going to wash it all away and everything's going to be great. But, but this scripture is pretty strong. Now, the Bible teaches, when the Bible teaches about, about sex... The Bible, first of all, the Bible blesses the sexual union between a man and a woman in the covenant of lifelong marriage. Come on, all the married people said. Amen. All the people who want to be married said. <laughs> Sex is God's idea. But he puts some boundaries around it. One of the boundaries he said is don't fornicate. Fornicate is, 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 is an unmarried single person to have sex with somebody else. Another boundary he said he talked to people like me don't commit adultery. Married people don't have sex with other married people or unmarried people. Then he put a boundary around your pet dog or whatever, and he called bestiality and said, don't have sex with animals as a human. 
And then he said the same thing about homosexual behavior. He put a boundary around it and he said, I don't approve of that. Jesus took it a step farther that encompasses pornography and everything else. Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So would it be fair to say that everyone in this room probably, except the youngest among us, everyone has committed sexual sin and we're all sinners in the eyes of God. So come on. It's not, you know, heterosexual sins are okay and homosexual sins are bad. No, listen, heterosexual acts and homosexual acts that are outside God's covenant of marriage are all sinful. Come on now. So we're all sinners in the same boat. But I'm not going to let someone in the world or someone on a TV show convince me that anything outside God's boundaries are right. Come on now. You'll be watching a TV show and you'll be applauding, you know, when somebody leaves their husband and is sleeping with somebody else. And, and you'll be excited, come on now, when, when this good-looking woman on the beach, you know, meets somebody in the bar and they just, uh, they're made for each other. When God is saying it's wrong. Let me read one more passage. You got getting quiet on me this morning. We can read from the Reader's Digest if you like. One more verse, Romans 1. The context here is unrighteous people. This is a scary one. Unrighteous people whose lives degrade and into idolatry. God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Listen, even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. They thought it foolish to acknowledge God. God abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Now I want to ask you this question. Do these scriptures make you feel uncomfortable? You don't have to say yay or nay on that. Do, do you have a different opinion? Come on now. I, I'm really here trying to help. Because if you do, if the Bible is God's word, and this makes you angry or you feel like kind of what the world tries to do, I suggest you've been influenced by the wrong people. Because the Bible is very clear. Let me say this again. I'm going to move on. Nowhere in the Bible are homosexual acts or homosexual marriage condoned. It's called sin. So how can same-sex marriage be right? It can't. Now, as a Bible-believing pastor, I cannot condone or conduct same-sex marriage ceremonies. But having, but having said that, but having said that, gay people are welcome in our church. Adulterers are welcome in our church. Fornicators are welcome in our church. Come on now, not to, not, not to seduce some single woman and not to take somebody else's husband, come on, or not to take somebody else's wife. But you are welcome here, and I will love you. I will speak the truth to you, and I will be your friend and brother in Christ, and I'll help you in your spiritual life. You are welcome in this church. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me say this. Um, I think we want to, many Christians want to kind of be against what's going on, and they make a battle out of what shouldn't be a battle. Now stay with me. I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to help you know how to, how to be true to your convictions in the scripture, but yet, quote, be against something. Let me say this. You're, you're not against homosexual people. If you're a young person in school and somebody is bullying a homosexual because they believe that they're gay, I believe a Christian should stand up for them. Not 
to agree with them to say that what they're doing is right. But as a human being, come on, nobody deserves to be bullied. Nobody deserves to be shamed on Facebook to where they commit suicide. You need to love people and help people and embrace people in life. If you're pretty good with cars and you see a car with their hood up and it, you know, they got a battery problem or whatever, and you get ready to pull up to that car and help them, but you notice they've got the little gay flag, you know, the multicolored flag on the back, don't just keep driving on past them. You pull up next to them and you help them. And after you help them, you say, hey, can I pray with you about anything? Don't tell them gay people are going to hell. You treat them as a, as a real person, as an individual created in the image of God, and you just treat and you just say, look, can I pray for you? Can I help you? Listen, people are, folks are folks. In America, we divided ourselves. We divide people against people. We pit ourselves, you know, black against white and, 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 and white against Oriental and Oriental against, in listen, come on now. We've all been created by one God. We're all sinners that need a savior. We all need to be saved by grace. That's where I'm coming from. Now, why should same-sex marriage matter to us? You say, oh, it doesn't affect me. I know what I believe. Well, it's going to affect you. Let me give you some quotes. Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, he's the head of not only the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, but Samaritan's Purse. It's one of the largest benevolence caring groups or ministries in the whole world. He says, Christian, you better get ready because persecution is coming. Judge Alito one of the Supreme Court justices who voted against what was passed, he said the decision will be used to vilify Americans who were unwilling to assent to the new orthodoxy. In other words, the theology of the scripture used to provide some level of guidance to America. Now there's other rules that unelected judges are making, undoing the will of the people, come on, going against natural law and putting the Bible down. He said, you're going to be vilified if you're unwilling to assent. You can whisper your thoughts in your homes, but if you repeat them in public, you risk being labeled as a bigot and treated as such by your government, your employer, and your school. A professor, Robert Gagnon, said this, as individuals, people of faith will be aggressively indoctrinated. That is, your children in school will soon be subject to textbooks that show marriage between two men when they're in kindergarten. There's the, uh, I think it was on, somewhere on the East Coast. Someone wouldn't, wouldn't rent out their uh, facility to a same-sex wedding. So not only did the judge find them, but he required that they go some re to, through some rehabilitation, rehabilitation training to, so that they'll get their thoughts in order. That sounds a little more like communism to me than it does about America. As individuals, you'll be aggressively indoctrinated, fined, denied advancement on your job, fired. You don't believe it? Ask the chief of Mozilla, who two years, I think it was, after he donated to Prop 8 in California, he was found out and he lost his job as the president of that great company. You'll be subject, uh, you'll be subject to ceaseless verbal abuse at school from the teacher, the professor, and at work. Your institutions and businesses will be set on a collision course with the state. You'll be denied government funding, government contracts, and loans. You'll be denied schools, Christian schools, denied accreditation. You'll lose your tax-exempt status, and you'll be subject to government harassment. It will matter to you. This was about a church. It's recorded in, a, it is in 2012. A proposed ordinance in Hutchinson, Kansas, small town, would force churches to rent their property out for same-sex weddings and receptions. 
It would also force any public venue to allow people to use showers, restrooms, locker rooms based on their gender identity rather than their sex at birth. Which means if a transgendered person came into our church and uh, he was born as a man but believed he was a female, then he could go in the ladies' bathroom with you girls. You say, well, that's our church. I understand. But in America today, let's keep talking. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, people will insult you and hurt you. They will lie and say all kinds of evil things about you because you follow me. Didn't Jesus say if the world hates you, it hated me first? And the reason why is because they're motivated, come on, by the devil. He said, when they do this, though, you will be blessed. Rejoice and be glad because you have a great reward waiting for you in heaven. People did the same evil things to the prophets who lived before you. Now, let me wrap this up here, and I'm going to take the last couple minutes, and I may need a couple extra minutes, but I want to give you what I believe to be a biblical response to the Supreme Court ruling. It's to, Christian, be bold, be loving, and be wise. Can you say this with me? Be bold, be loving, and be wise. Come on, say it again. Be bold, be loving, and be wise. I base this on Ephesians 4.15, which simply says, we will speak the truth in love. We will not tie truth behind our back and just be, whatever you're saying. We will not just do that. But we will also not be some self-righteous person, come on, declaring other people go to hell while I go to heaven. That's the, the, that's the context of judge not lest you be judged. The, Jesus is not teaching us that we cannot do what the other Bible verse says, <laughs> judge righteous judgment. He's simply saying don't be condescending, come on. Don't be arrogant, don't be self-righteous as you, as you sift right and wrong based on the Bible. Let's talk about the first one, be bold and speak the truth. Hear me on this, traditional marriage is biblical. Don't let people intimidate you for what you believe. You are not a hater and you are not a bigot because you believe the Bible. Let me say that again. You are not a hater and not a bigot because you believe the Bible. If your home was on fire and I was driving through your neighborhood, would you want me to stop and make sure your kids were not inside that house? Tell me why. Because you would want me to love your children. You wouldn't want me to sit out in my car and say, well, you know, it's really not my decision. It's not my life. I mean, they bought that house. I don't have any right to it. And, you know, they may be mad. They may be having a party. They may be cooking hot dogs. They may be making marshmallows or s'mores. So uh, what right do I have to go in there? Come on now. If you love me, you'll knock on the door. And if it's locked and you hear a scream, you'll drive your car through the door. Come on now. And you'll get my baby out of that house. I want to ask you to join with me as you're bold and speak the truth with millions of Americans, Bible-believing Christians, and defend religious liberty, our, the first in the Bill of Rights, the first uh, amendment to our Constitution guarantees us freedom of religion. Not just freedom to worship inside this building, but freedom to practice our religious faith as American people wherever we go. And my friends, you need to vote for politicians, come on, that stand on the side of religious liberty. It'll be a big one in 2016. I've seen full-page ads signed by leaders of organization, Christian groups in America, the Catholic, uh, the Catholic uh, whatever, bishops across America. Millions of Christians believe like you do, and many of their leaders have been inspired by the early church who said that they would, listen, uh, Acts 5.29, when they were told to shut up 
talking about Jesus, their apostles said, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Let me keep going. The first one was to what? Be, be bold. The second is to be loving. Let me say this. Christians are not at war with homosexuals. Christians are not at war with homosexuals. A priest walked past a, a, a gay pride parade recently. He was going somewhere. He wasn't protesting. He didn't have a sign, and he was spit on by two people. There may be people that operate in a hostile spirit, but you're not at war with someone because they're a homosexual. Your number one goal should be to win people to Christ. Your number one goal is to disciple people in the truth. Now listen to me on this one. Don't get distracted because this is not the main thing. This is important. Abortion is important. All these things are important. But the main thing is what Jesus said is to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations and then the end will come. And I want to suggest to you a response as a Christian. If you're a Christian florist and you're asked to make flowers for a same-sex wedding, you have an issue of conscience that you're going to have to decide. But I want to suggest one to you. I want to suggest that you make those flowers, not because you agree with their wedding, but I want to, I want to suggest that you go in that wedding, put your Jesus t-shirt on, and you go, you go in there and you put flowers on those people. And when you do, don't talk to them like this. You talk to them like somebody that cares about you and say, oh, I just pray that God would just bless you. Is there anything I can pray with you about today? If you died today, are you 100% sure that you'd go to heaven? I guarantee you, my friends, it might open a door for the Holy Spirit to come in and do some big things in the world in which we live today. What we need, listen, we don't need just the moral majority to, to hire lawyers about this thing. We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, come on, to sweep across America and to save people that are, that are blinded by what's going on in the world. I suggest to you, can I keep going? 2 Timothy chapter 2 is the spirit of what I just said. Paul told Timothy, again I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments on Facebook that only start fights. Again, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Listen, the time it takes you to write that angry reply to an angry reply that long, imagine if you'd have just prayed for them for that period of time, because it didn't do any good. You be kind. You be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change their hearts and they'll learn the truth, and then they'll come to their senses and escape the devil's trap. Listen, loving somebody doesn't mean I agree with them, but if I love you, I'll tell you the truth. So I want to encourage you, friends, be bold. And what was the second one? Be, be loving. Here's the third one. Be wise. Now hear me on this. You go out of this room. Don't go looking for a fight. You count the cost before you engage, and you listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling you. And I suggest for many of us, the Holy Spirit wouldn't tell us just something so we don't have a problem. He may want us right in the middle of a problem so we can be a witness. Matthew 10, listen to what Jesus said. Now, this is a big one. Jesus said, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. What do wolves do to sheep? They kill them. I'm sending you out like that. So I want you to be as wise as a serpent, as innocent as a dove. I want you to beware of men. They're going to deliver you over to courts. They'll flog you in their synagogue. You'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And how many know, friends, that's the ultimate thing is not just not having a problem, but it's bearing a witness for Christ. 
How you respond publicly to this issue is a matter of conscience. I would hope no Christian would ever deny a homosexual hamburger if you had a hamburger stand. Come on now. I hope you'd make it the best burger around. But to publicly stand will cost you. Clerks right now about issuing marriage licenses, some have resigned. I read of one who would not issue the license and they are in a court case. Uh, there's going to be a lawsuit filed. Um, a bakery that didn't bake a wedding cake was fined $135,000 in Oregon. Their business was shut down and they received death threats all because they said, I don't want to bake your cake. And rather than just go to another bakery, that's America. Not everybody is going to agree and some will attack us. But how many know Jesus will never fail us? Amen. I want to read you a quote that really just struck home to me that just kind of brought a healthy balance. Have you ever heard of uh, Dr. Alveda King? Martin Luther King's niece, She's a, uh, she, she serves in full-time Christian ministry. And listen to what she said. She said, the Supreme Court has ruled from a position of common law, human law, that gay and lesbian couples have a fundamental right to marry. This is the highest court that humans can make. <laughs> Yet this is not the final word. In the end, natural law, God's law, will always trump common law. So don't fear or be confused or deceived. Remain prayerful. Keep looking up. God will have the final word in this matter. And then she quoted Galatians 6, 7. She said, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You'll always harvest what you plant or reap what you sow. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Why don't we stand to our feet and uh, I hope you heard my heart today, but I hope you heard the Bible. I did my best to communicate to you what I believe is a, is, is, is a balanced scriptural approach between loving people and speaking the truth. Could we just ask the Holy Spirit to come first visit us and then visit America before we go? See, because God's speaking to you in this message right now. God's been speaking to some of you about who's influenced you. And you're realizing you've been more influenced by culture than the Bible. God's speaking to others that what right do you have to cast a stone at somebody when you're doing something very similar? I just want you to just say yes to the Lord. And could we just ask God to pour out His Spirit upon us and upon America? Lord, that you might forgive America for throwing the Bible away and making the cross of Christ a ridicule. Would you just pray right now? Just open your mouth and say, God, would you please visit America? Would you please send a spiritual awakening or we don't have any hope whatsoever? Would you please help us? Would you please help every one of us? Whether we're married and true to our spouse, whether we're thinking lustful thoughts or living a life of fornication or adultery or homosexuality or beast, whatever, would you help us, Lord? live a life of purity and please you. Just pray right now. Say, help me, Lord. Help me be the person that's pleasing to you. I want to close with my last offer of personal prayer. We'll sing a song one time and then we'll go home. But I wonder if you're here today and you need prayer before we go. Here's something I know in every message. God speaks to people and they feel like, I just kind of need to close it. It's like reading a book and reading everything but the last chapter. And sometimes that last chapter is to close in prayer. 
Maybe you're here today and maybe you're just in turmoil after, after this message and you really need God to let truth settle. Let somebody pray with you. Maybe you're convicted because what you've been doing is wrong. Let, let somebody pray because you want to get out of that. You know, maybe you're afraid to make a stand and you want to pray for boldness, whatever it may be. You know, it could be anything related to the message or not. But hear me, friends, the most important thing is maybe you need prayer to commit your life to Christ. Maybe you're not a Christ follower. Maybe you've been to church, but friends, going to church won't get you to heaven. How many know we've got a problem in our life and it's called sin, and sin separates us from God? We need a Savior. My friends, we need God's forgiveness. And somebody can pray with you, not to join this church, but that God would forgive you and help you turn your life to follow Him. We'd love to give some things to help you live the Christian life. Maybe you've been a Christian in the past and you walked away from God, but you're stirred to make your stand for Christ. Let us pray with you today as you make that big step. But whatever it may be, our prayer team is going to come around the altar. We'll sing one song and go. But I want you to just start praying right now with me in your chair for people that need to come and have an encounter with God. Prayer team, come on up right now. And I'm encouraged as our prayer team is coming forwards, I want to encourage you, if you need prayer, just come up. You say, well, how do I know? You just feel something pulling your heart. Something that I said, something that God's saying, you just feel it pulling you right now to make a connection with God. Please say yes to that because God loves you and I love you. Thank you so much for being here today. Come on, begin to sing, Pastor. You need prayer. You come today. Ooh. 